I'm Chris Reback. This is Working Capital Conversations. It's the age-old question nearly every business brand would like to know. What do young people care about? Do they apply their beliefs and goals to their commercial choices? Do brands matter to them? Put differently, from a brand's perspective, do youth care about who you are, or what you do and how you do it? What are the forces influencing their brand choices? And when leading global and domestic brands want to know the answer to these questions, George Wynn is one person they frequently call. Wynn is Managing Director of Untapped, a youth trends and insights agency that is changing the way brands approach market research. Untapped is born of the simple belief that the only subject matter experts are the subjects themselves, and they tap into their network of more than 5,000 young urban influencers and what they call gatekeepers to learn. They do this by partnering with Stoked, a nonprofit youth development program in New York, Chicago, and Los Angeles. Untapped gets the insights. The youth gatekeepers gain opportunities to learn presentation skills, professional communications, office skills, statistics and analytics, and design and development, including Photoshop, coding, and more. Among their clients have been McDonald's, Nike, Jordan Brands, Gatorade, HBO, and others. Before my conversation with George, though, I have an ask from me to you. I hope you like these working capital conversations, and if so, I'd appreciate if you'd take a moment, go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, and if you're so moved, leave a five-star review. The ratings really matter. They go a long way to helping other people find the podcast. Thank you for considering my request. That's it. Here's my conversation with George Wynn. George, thanks for joining me. Oh, thanks for having me on today. Let's begin with the obvious question for you. What defines youth? What ages are we talking about? I mean, currently we talk about Gen Z because that's 11 to 24. That's sort of the dictionary definition that's been passed around. But more so, I think when we think of young people, we just tend to say youth as in not yet adults, not yet into responsibility. Um, so includes college, not having started careers yet, not on their own or living with their parents still. So from our standpoint, it's anybody that isn't independent. <laughs> what does Gen Z stand for? How, how did the name come about? So it was sort of, um, it was a natural fallout from Gen X. Yeah. You know, it's a little bit lazy if you ask me. <laughs> yeah. That's uh, kind of what it seems. I mean, yeah. I, I agree. I mean, Gen X did have a purpose to it. And then there was, I guess, Gen Y and now Gen Z. And it's like, well, now we're at the end of the alphabet. Really, was that all that was you know thought about in terms of defining these generations? I will say there's a bit of a mad rush right now to be the person who names the next one. Ah, you know? okay. <laughs> Do you get that cachet of being the person who coined the term so that you show up in every Google search for the next twenty years? It, it would be pretty. <laughs> it would be pretty cool, yeah. So, uh, tell me what you do. How do you get insights from the, you know these young people, Gen Z, you know the the, the age group that you just described? Um, because then I want to find out what they care about. But I think it'll help if if we get some context. How do you get your insights? So, I guess the best way to start with this is a little bit of our story, my yes, personal please. story. Yeah, please. Um, so, I started in this business twenty years ago in advertising, marketing, and research back when the term cool hunter, I guess, was a job that wouldn't get you laughed out of a room. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. Sort of quickly came to the conclusion that I was going to outgrow that career. But back then, my job was to be the person who went and interviewed young people, 
you know, lift lines, skate parks, basketball mm. parks, and just really sort of being a observational researcher, but in some ways, a bit of um, infiltrating their lifestyle. Very cool. And, is that just your personality or is that, are you kind of a sociology type person or, or it's just, that's your personality and it didn't matter what you studied, you, you were going to, that's the direction you were going to go? I think it's a little bit of that, but it was also a function of just being the youngest person on the team. <laughs> got it. You, you were automatically qualified. Yeah. Okay. Who's got credibility? Right. Um, and, right. and I think that's a critical part to how we gain insights. So as I've, as I've continued in my career, that part of the work sort of stuck with us. And one of the things we realized was at a certain point, my partner and I were not, we're not true youth experts. Everything we do is clouded and biased by nature of just being adults. You know, I joke about this, but the last concert I probably went to was Rafi, you know? (laughs) Yes, I understand. Yeah. Yeah. For for kids, music for kids. Exactly. Right tattoos, right shoes, know all the right lingo, but I'm, I'm still an adult. Um, and so what we do is we employ young people, um, that come out of NGO programs who helping them try and find their, their next career step forward as youth market researchers. And in particular, we're partnered with Stoke Mentoring, Mm. which is an organization in New York, Chicago, and LA. And they've got a network of more than 5,000 young people. And as they come out of this program, you know, our recognition is that the only real youth expert is a young person themselves. Yes. Um, they have that pass to go ask the kind of questions and familiarity and comfort that people are going to open up to them in a way that they might never open up to you or I. Um, and so we employ them as our cultural anthropologists, reporters, um, what have you, and then work with them closely to say, hey, look, this is how you take your inherent knowledge of your age group, your friends, what's happening around you and cull it into actionable things for brands, companies that are trying to speak to you. Yeah, it's an incredible uh, formula because it's it's knowledge, insights that only they can have, but that other people would love to understand. And, and it's great to help them recognize that just in their own um, daily lives, what they do, what they think about, and their own thinking and observations as well, I would assume, um, they can generate value out of that. Absolutely. And, and I will tell you, one of the huge side benefits for us is seeing the look on, on one of their faces when they come out of a room where they realize Fortune 500 companies, people are listening to them and care about what they have to say. It also elevates them to put some weight against, what, against their words, to not be so flip about it because they realize now that people are judging them on the value that they bring to the table and that, there's, that they see worth, that there's perceived worth. So describe that that environment very specifically for me. So these are – do they engage in or, or serve in focus groups and what are the types of companies and how does, how does that process work? Really bring that to life for me. So uh, McDonald's came to us earlier this summer. They had worked with consultancies to define who their new youth audience was, but they really didn't have texture around it. And so – the team went out and actually executed an ethnography study with our guidance and working alongside them, shot film, photography, answered challenging questions about what was it about McDonald's, um, the brand, the products, the services, their experiences, and then 
we all went out to Chicago and presented to folks on the marketing and research team um, across both McDonald's internal social social media team um, and their multicultural marketing teams. And what was what was the reaction? I think people literally like wrapped attention. You know, here you were coming face to face. One of the things we talked about is we literally closed the gap between marketers and their audience. Mm. And it's not just that you're going out and you're asking like your neighbor's niece or, you know, the 16 year old down the street because our young associates went out and did the work. They had the expertise sitting at the table. Really broad question that you'll try to answer as specifically as possible. So what do young people care about? (laughs) You know, if I want to boil it down, I actually caught this phrase from, um, Melissa Shrum, she had this great observation around it. And it's like, one of the things is um, they're most interested in being interesting. Hmm. And I think broadly what that boils down to right now is young people today and the generation that we're at, there is less of a, a clear roadmap than ever before. And so there is a lot of action and acting to try and determine where they're getting traction, what's resonating, what's interesting, and, and what's a proof point. And so this comes from everything from what am I going to do for my career to what am I going to wear? Should I pursue this hobby? Young people today are the ultimate crowdsourcers. Do you guys like these shoes? Should I continue painting? I'm trying my hand at like making uh, a t-shirt design. What do, what do you guys think? Would you buy this? All of it to sort of determine and discern which ways to move forward because broadly there's just so much opportunity and choice out there and so much input out there. So l- let me ask you about that crowdsourcing. So what defines what makes that unique? I mean, I can kind of understand, and I I get it on a little bit. I think on crowdsourcing, I can imagine you know how likes on Instagram, for example. I, I recognize that the picture matters almost more than the experience, and then getting the reactions on the images matters even more than the picture itself. That said, so so I could understand what you're saying about leveraging the various media formats, as well as just asking verbally to get insight guidance for themselves. How is that different from what all of us did as kids, which is seek approval of our peers? It's not different in principle. What's different is scale and speed. Mm. And I think the other thing that's different, that's critically different is we did it within confines. We did it within a roadmap that our parents laid out for us or the community around us. Today, those confines have broken down. You're hard pressed to look at your parents to say like, you know, I want to do this and have someone say, well, well, how are you going to do that? Or, or why don't you focus on, on school or on science or, or this particular thing? Because there are literally millions of examples out there of someone who has followed your path now. Do they worry less about failing or being, quote, embarrassed by having put an idea out in public? Or is that mitigated by the fact that everyone's putting ideas or, you know, out in public? All of them are. They're all doing the crowdsourcing. And so is there less pressure that way or is there more pressure because they're putting themselves out to a wider, unfiltered and perhaps unknown audience? Kind of what you just described. I think there's more Broadly, when you look at some of the stories that are out there in terms of cyberbullying, negative reactions, pressure, there's more pressure that's out there. The young people that we work with, one of the things that we've really discovered in this generation is the mechanisms that they're putting in place to protect themselves. 
one thing we firmly believe is that it's interesting, this generation, what they're calling Gen Z, is the first generation to grow up with a fully mature internet. You and I grew up with the internet in a way that we developed alongside of it. We sort of, we watched it emerge. And so there were pitfalls that were kind of coming and going. And so there weren't necessarily mechanisms in place because no one could see the problems coming. Young people today are seeing the problems coming and growing up with them and are already walking into with mechanisms to, on how to protect themselves, how to deal with like people who react to them. So an interesting thing is for a lot of them that are conscious about their appearance on on social media, they'll show something in like, say, Instagram stories first. And then depending on the amount of reactions it gets, they'll move it down. They'll, to, beta, they'll beta test it. Yeah. It's no different than concept testing uh -huh, for uh -huh. any company. And, and when you put it in that language, anyone at a, on a board of directors or a product manager completely gets, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a soft launch. <laughs> yeah, that's a, it's a digital soft launch. So in thinking about those board members or even the marketing teams or social media teams, the folks who are looking to you to help bring them the guidance that they seek, does Gen Z, do they apply their beliefs and goals to their commercial choices? I mean, of course, we all know woke capitalism. Is there such a thing as youth capitalism? Do young people put their money where their mouths are? I think they do where they can, mm. you know. But there's also one of the interesting things when you talk about sort of this quote-unquote youth capitalism is the blurring of generational lines now in a way that we had never seen before. And this is one of also the critical differences. Um, fact of the matter is, is someone in a boomer might be walking through Manhattan wearing nearly identical clothes, styles, brands as a 17-year-old. The amount of 40-year-olds rocking Air Jordans and 15-year-olds rocking Air Jordans, I'd say the penetration is probably similar. Hmm. You know? And so because of that, there is less of a, a clear distinction for, okay, this is like youth brands. There are, however, very much sort of youth causes and that they're looking at and supporting and getting behind Youth movements is probably an interesting thing that is not dissimilar to what we experienced. It's just, again, it goes back to like scale, speed, and the way that they navigate it. But, but, but do they make their choices? Will they make financial choices based around, so maybe not necessarily the brands themselves, but whether the brands are mindful of their youth movements, youth causes, et cetera? They're paying attention, but then there's also, um, I'll give you a good example. So yeah. H&M last year had a dramatic misstep in their social media, and it was around um, an ad with a young, young black child who was wearing a, a green sweatshirt, and the writing on it um, was deemed really offensive. And I think everyone participated in the movement. We talked to a lot of our young folks then, and, and they were active within it, and they were active in decrying it in social media. And then later on, I was watching them post pictures and and wearing stuff from H&M. And I was going like, hey, guys, come on, what's going on? And it's like, you know, I've also got limitations on my budget. Um, mm. Not the exact words they used, yeah. but more along the lines of like, be real, man. I, like, I can't not shop there. I don't have those luxuries. <laughs> Are there forces that you're able to characterize or particular causes or, or belief systems that influence their brand choices? You know, economics, uh, economics and, and convenience is a huge one at this young age. I think we forget the limitations that they have. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things that we say to brands often is um, be, be the easy answer to hard questions. And the kind of questions 
are what set it aside for like a youth, a company trying to work with young people versus company perhaps trying to work with you or I. So um, McDonald's is a great example. The hard question is where do you find a place that all of your friends can go on varying budgets and find something that they all like, <laughs> right? And so when you're dealing with finding a, a social outing, yeah, adults will deal with this in the same way, but I think to a lesser degree, it's not such sort of a, a social, a socially defining question for us. <laughs> if everyone yeah. can go to this restaurant or eat spicy. Yeah. But when you're trying to find out like where you're going to go on Friday afternoon and no one wants to get left out, that's a really big thing for young people. So, so being cognizant of the social challenges that they're facing shapes the choices they make. Right. And really having an understanding of like, not just the things that you see posted about or talked about or, or what they're wearing, but what are the driving decisions behind it? We did some interviews up at like the March for Our Lives. And that was revealing for us because we were like, this is such at the forefront of youth culture right now. And a lot of the young people we saw that were really driven by it, it was the force that was driving was an opportunity to be heard. And this goes back to that, like wanting to be heard and shape their identity. But there were also like real big questions about socially, who is this for? Who is this intended at? I, we had one young person say back to us, was like, you don't see this parade on Flatbush, right? Central Park West. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Hard to refute that. What do you tell your clients? Can they, in fact, effectively market to young people? Is that a viable tactic? Absolutely. I, I don't think any young person that we've ever spoken with, worked with, met with, has ever been against being marketed to. I think they get upset about not being treated with respect. That Pepsi work that everyone lambasted that the Kylie, Kylie Jenner, Jenner would do one of the Jenner. Yeah, was really around the facts like give us some credit. Treat us treat us with intelligence. We find that when young people are engaged and participate and are spoken to in an authentic manner, then it really it really resonates. Today more than ever it's about bring people in and engage them and help them make them a part of your effort. Make the community participate. Well, not make, but give the community an opportunity to participate in the work that you're doing, in the way that you're speaking to them. Adidas is doing something really great right now. What they've done is they've gone out and they've, they've engaged influencers to sell a specific iteration of their shoe, the five. And it's not a sale that they're doing, just going and having influencers post ads about it. But having influencers reach out to their communities and connect with them and because they're also raising money for causes that they believe in, you know, and so that's creating engagement. It's creating authenticity. I think it's critical for brands to remember you can't recreate the voice of a generation. It's never going to sound authentic. Mm. So why not let them speak for themselves? Do influencers matter or, or how, how big are influencers? How important are they? How should and, and how should companies think about influencers? <laughs> Loaded question there. I personally think influencers are critical. Influencers are huge. But we really need to rethink what the definition of an influencer is and how we engage them. How do you mean? So so broadly, with this overload of information, this generation lacks sort of curatorial expertise. Yeah. They're they're craving an expert on something, someone to be a guide to show them like, hey, here's here's a great place to go and why not just here's my picture in my bathing suit at a sunny resort, right? I'm trying to make this new thing. The shoe surgeon is fantastic, right? Young people everywhere are paying attention to this because this guy's not just showing his expertise on sneakers, but he's talking about the craft and how he pulls them apart and 
teach them the history on these things. So when we talk about influencers, I think, yes, influencers are going to become more and more critical as there's more and more information overload and more and more channel. People are going to look to experts and trusted voices and authorities on certain subject matters. I think the current way that brands engage them, really treating them like media based on follower count, likes, et cetera, is short lived. And it's an example of, of how people were able to take advantage of it quickly. Now, so it's going to become more of who am I looking at who can be a trusted part of my reach out, who can be a voice for my brand rather than just sort of carrying my ad. So like if you're looking to an influencer to post about your work, well, they should actually create content for you, not just push out your ad or be seen wearing your product. They should have commentary. You need to be open to their spin on your brand. You know, marketers for years have said brands don't own brands. Actually, consumers do. More than ever, I think that's the case. And a willingness to sort of relinquish that control and acceptance of negative comments or malleability or shifting with like sort of the social wins, the cultural wins is critical for brands who want to be strong with the youth market. Just to clarify, make sure I'm understanding correctly, the number of likes, the number of followers that an influencer has, are you saying that's not relevant or are you saying it's not as relevant as their ability to become a a part of the trusted network for their audiences and their ability to create, let's just call it trusted content or additional content. So it's really their ability to, to become trusted. It's not that the size of the audience doesn't matter anymore. It's just not the only thing. Look beyond how many followers, how many likes, look at the substance of the person, of the, of the influencer as well. In thinking about the companies, I also found myself wondering, are the companies who are interested in this kind of insight, is it only companies who actively sell products or services to young audiences who are interested in what they think right now? Or do other companies, let, let's just say car makers, also care because this is their future market? I think it's. I think everyone should care. At a certain point, this generation is going to move up to becoming – say, have significant purchase power, drive purchase decisions within the home. You know, I think as parents become more and more open and conscious about like the holistic family experience, you know, we buy things to make sure that they satisfy everyone in the family and needs, not just individuals. And it's also a precursor to where things are going. To go back to what I mentioned about sort of the the blurring of generational lines, tastes are being influenced by the youth audience much more and more every day. A number of people I work with go to work in sneakers. That is guided by young people. It is not guided by, you know, what's happening at Fashion Week. In, in fact, you could easily argue that what's happening at Fashion Week is following what's happening with young tastemakers in urban markets. What questions do companies have for you? What what are, what do they usually ask if they're either looking to get your insights or looking to do some work with you or maybe even during the presentations or, or afterwards? What, what are the things that they're what, – what are they curious about on the front end? What are they curious about on the back end? I think on the front end, it starts broadly with quantitative behaviors, like where – what are they watching? What are they listening to? Who's on your playlist? What's in your closet? Where'd you spend your last $200? Literally, that was a question in the recent project we were doing because they were trying to understand – the checkout. How do you, how do we impact our ticket size on every purchase? What am I going to, how am I going to get you to spend about $200 knowing that the average purchase was 200? 
they leave really focused on the hows and the whys, recognizing that that the what's change. Why isn't YouTube social media? <laughs> Versus, you know, where are you spending your time? It was it was interesting. Uh, a lot of the work that we did with McDonald's was focused on, you know, what are our competitors? Thinking it came down to, you know, if you're not going to buy my chicken sandwich, whose chicken sandwich are you going to buy? Versus leaving and really kind of understanding that, how do we bring you back? You know, and the dramatic insight that was presented was you want your audience to go try other people's food. They'll always come back to you because McDonald's is no longer, quote unquote, a cool brand, but has become a standard in a good way as a neighborhood institution. So two trips to McDonald's, one trip to Popeye's, two trips back to McDonald's, one trip to Taco Bell. <laughs> right. So when you ask about the kind of questions they ask, it starts with the what are you doing? And it really ends up being with like, help me understand why you're doing it so I can try and understand how to replicate that within my processes or at least shape our thinking and our approach to speaking with you. I guess you have an advantage. You get to talk regularly and ask questions regularly of some 5,000 youth or rotating (laughs) and, and, you know, you're getting fresh insights and, but what else, how else do you stay current? Is there any, you know, what's on your playlist? What sites are you going to? Is there anything, any guidance you can give, you know, if folks want to try it? I, I know, and I heard you at the beginning, you know, the, the best way, maybe the only way to understand uh, youth is to get the insights directly from youth. But what else? What, what's on your playlist? No, I, I go to all the same places that young people follow, right? Whether that's Overtime or Complex, High Snobiety. I'm looking at the different things that they're looking at, but I'm also looking at who do they follow, who are they reposting, and who are those people following and talking about. So, you know, a couple of years back, the interesting thing was Jaden Smith. Lots and lots of people follow Jaden Smith, right? But yeah. he only yeah. he only follows one person. Um, and pardon me, the name escapes me, but the young man who was creating a way to clean the ocean. And so it was like, okay. He doesn't even follow uh, his, his father or mother. It was interesting at that. I mean, he probably didn't need to, right? He sees them every day. Yeah, but okay. he, there was someone that he found interesting. So I, I'm consistently updating and curating who I'm following based on what are people reposting? What are people talking about? What are people interesting? And it's about monitoring the conversation rather than monitoring the sources for me. Um, we use a combination of social listening to understand like what are the, what are the words that are trending, constant conversations. And then having a number of sources that are popping up. So for a little while, like um, I was following Olivia Kim, who's the creative director over at Nordstrom's, because her job is to follow a lot of people <laughs> and understand what the new trends were. So rather than try and follow 100 sources, followed one source who was following 100 sources. And what's next? What's next for you? And maybe more broadly, what's next for us? Is there any trend that you see that maybe hasn't gotten fully noticed yet or, or a trend that is starting to get noticed and you just think it's going to get bigger. What's next for you? What's next for us? Hmm. Good question. I think broadly the trend that I'm seeing is around sort of this, this leveling of the playing field in terms of like professionalism, et cetera. I think young people recognizing that the spotlights are on them um, are starting to grow up earlier and younger in a way where the past 20 years, you've sort of seen a drag down of adults, right? Less fixed, professional, et cetera, going in a more casual in the office space. But I think you're starting to see the other end of that now where young people are looking at opportunities at an early stage, trying to be entrepreneurial, trying to start businesses, 
Um, and so starting to carry themselves a little more professionally at an earlier stage, um, an early age, following sources like Ray Dalio for like advice. And I'm seeing young people quoting things that I wouldn't have looked at until I was at university. And so broadly, I think that's that's an interesting movement for me. How do they start to carry themselves in a more sort of grown up, presentable way? I had someone ask me the other day, an 18 year old on a project, oh, what's the budget? Kind of <laughs> Lord, and I was like, that's great. <laughs> yeah, you're hired. <laughs> but you know, there's an ex- it's it's a matter of exposure and lingo, and that's shaping itself into a trend. Whereas the trend up until now was a sliding down. You know, we looked at we looked at the founders of Google wearing T-shirts and sneakers and jeans and sport coats to testify in front of Congress. Well, it only sort of dragged down so far before it starts to drag back up, and it bounces back. And so for me, that's the really interesting thing. The bounce back. You'd asked earlier about like who else do we kind of work with in car companies. And we actually did a project for Lexus and their car and their ad agency talking about what is the future of luxury and how it shapes things. And I was really shocked to hear the sort of the pragmatic and practical answers from young people today. There's a recognition about how they need to be aware of they need to be more financial literate. They need to be aware of what's happening. They need to be not just culturally aware, but like socially aware. They they are growing up really fast in a different way than we had used the expression. You know, we had sort of joked about like young people growing up too fast in terms of like sexuality and like risque behaviors. But in fact, what I'm seeing today as a broader trend is young people are growing up really fast because they're seeing a void for them as like adults and role models in their lives. You know, and, and sort of carrying these clear distinctions about like what kind of contributing members to society do they want to be. George, thank you. Thank you for uh, the insights and, and uh, re- really interesting, uh, really interesting work that you get to do. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Mm-hmm.